Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know why, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the memorable, mature, and melted Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Emphasis on the melted, Chris. It is hot and humid, and if anyone tells me global warming is a myth, I'm going to punch them in the face repeatedly until I am cooled by their misty blood. By their misty blood? That seems, I mean, isn't their blood hot anyway? Not as hot as it is here. That's that's fair. It's okay. warm here, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, aside from melting all over the place, it seems like there's been some melting comments made out in the Twitter sphere by Mike Merles. Yeah. Uh, I think we should discuss that as our main topic today. We will. But before that, let's do a few announcements. So, Pudding Fair, a new D&D Guild Adept adventure. Uh, the The tagline is, you awaken on the morning of the Pudding Fair, just as you did yesterday, and the day before that... And the day before that, to escape the loop, you must break a curse that strikes to the heart of halfling and gnome lore. That's really cool. A little Groundhog's Day, right? A little bit. A little bit. Uh, Yeah, this is a three to four hour adventure for characters of levels one to four. Um, And it's part of a series that the Guild Adepts did based on the material presented in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. So we've had one about the Blood War. Um, We've had one, I think, about the Gith. So now it's time to talk about the halflings and gnomes. And uh, I I worked on this adventure with Will Doyle and Cindy Moore. Very cool. And I think people will enjoy it. Um, It is very unique in terms of a a D&D adventure. So I hope people like it. And hopefully in the near future, as have been done with most of the Gilded Up products, it will be legal for Adventures League play. Mm-hmm. You want to do the next one? I, I will, Chris. Um, there was another Guild Adept adventure put up called Curtain Call, a Sharn Adventure. Uh, it is an introductory adventure for first to fourth level characters written by Keith Baker, who you may have heard of as the initial creator of Eberron, uh, Robert Aducci, Guild Adept, and our own Wayne Chang. Yeah, from Bones and Obsidian, both Robert Aducci and Wayne. Yep. So... Uh, this is a great adventure to introduce new DMs to Eberron and includes sidebars to help DMs and players get familiar with Eberron. Uh, the mm-hmm. tagline is, a paying job in Sharn to find out what happened to a missing noble turns into a myriad of street chases, personal grudges, spy agencies, cultists, and charlatans as you take an exciting tour through the City of Towers. And if I am not mistaken, this was laid out by someone we know. Yeah, I, I did the layout on this one. You are someone we know. So, yeah, yes. and it's uh, one of the nicest layouts, if not the ni- it's Everybody's saying it's the nicest layout I've ever done, so I, there you go. I cannot argue, Chris. It looks really, really professionally done. It almost looks like a D&D product, right? It does. It looks very much in that vein, so excellent it's, work on it's that. It's almost like I was mandated to make it look like a D&D product. Yeah, yeah it's funny how that works. Yeah, uh, right? But yeah, you, oh. can, you can check that out on the DMs Guild along with it, Pudding Fair. Already a copper bestseller as of this recording. Sweet. After one day. Yay. All right. Uh, last thing. The survey is up for Races of Eberron, the, and um, the new Unearthed Arcana is Races of Ravnica. Yep. So I believe we talked about uh, Races of Eberron a while ago. So if you have checked that out, that Unearthed Arcana article, you can check that out. 
Um, we've got the link in the show notes to both the article and to the uh, survey. So if you've read it and you want to get your feedback in, do it quickly. And then they put up a new one on the races of Ravnica. And there are four races that they discuss in this um, in this Unearthed Arcana article. I mean, the, the Loxodon, humanoid elephants, common with the storm. It's so close to the GIF, right? It, it's funny I mean, how that works. Not, they're not rhinos. Yeah, and there's also the Viashino who are kind of a lizard folk, who are the opposite. They Their emotions rage like fire. Interesting. That's very interesting. Mostly lizard folk are cold, right? Right. So it's funny how that uh, yeah. they're playing those off against each other. So simic hybrids, magically engineered creatures made to be perfect soldiers. That's fascinating. Yep. So, so they have different abilities or, uh, let's say, mutations based on magic that has made them into super soldiers or attempted to that's kind of cool i like that especially and last but not least are the valdakin optimistic idealists who embrace imperfection as they work toward perfection nice that's really cool yep i froze for a second so i missed the thing but that's okay we'll just move on okay and uh maybe if we get a chance and no other uh really empowering topics come up between now and then we can take the time to talk about the actual mechanics in the in the races of Eberron article. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really cool since all I want to do is talk about Eberron these days. I mean, yep. I, I could talk about Eberron for like the next month and a half. And and that just might happen. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Well, that's our announcements for the day. Let's talk about our main topic, which is D&D and its relationship with organized play. Lead us in, Sean. Okay, so last week, if you listened, we talked to Adventures League administrators Lisa Chen and Alan Patrick. So this is kind of a natural topic to cover, and it was one of the things I was toying with covering. And then Mike Merles tweeted a couple of things in the last couple of days that made me really want to cover this topic in detail. So this Twitter thread started with a great article by who else? DM David. Mm -hmm. The article was called The Adventures League Campaign Rules Offered a Game. How Gamers Played to Win. Um, we have a link in our show notes. But basically, it, the, the article, DM's David article, talks about when you create um, an organized play campaign, you have to set rules upon top of the regular game rules. Mm -hmm. And that creates a game within a game. And being gamers, a lot of people are going to try to win that game. And so he gives... You know, a, a little bit of an overview about how how the rules interacted, how the Adventures League rules interacted with the D&D rules. And then he talks a lot about how the magic item system was gamed by players and how that really led to some problems for the campaign. And, oh, Chris, you want to say? Yeah, it's the only thing to game in that system, really, because, I mean, the downtime didn't do all that much. The... Uh I mean, there were some cool things that you could do with it, but not not nearly enough. There, there was uh, one of the problems with the gold, as we talked about last week, was like just there's nothing to spend it on. So, right. like the only thing that you really could maneuver in game was the magic item system. Yep, and and boy howdy did people do that. Mm -hmm. So that was a great article, and um, Mike Mike Shea Sly Flourish tweeted that article, retweeted it, and said a fantastic article as always on the interesting and controversial changes to the Adventures League. I, for one, am glad that the designers don't account for Adventures League when they're making hardcover adventures. I think designers should have as few limitations as possible. And, you know, that makes sense. I, I, that's, that can be a controversial statement depending on 
how you want your Adventures League slash organized play campaign to interact with your main products, but I can understand the sentiment behind it. It makes sense. Mike Merles replied to Sly Flourish with the following, and this is where the kind of controversial bits started. Mike says, Our research has shown that the way role-playing games are played in an RPG-style organized play program or at least how they are perceived to be played, is pretty unpopular with the people who want to play role-playing games. Well, then. So, well, then. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that there's a lot there. Um, part of it is you're not sure whether Mike is saying that this research is agreed with by the majority of the people on the D&D team at Wizards. He's not saying if there is a distinction between the way that they are played and the perception that people have of them. Um, so overall, if you are someone who, say, volunteers a lot of time working with the Adventures League, a tweet like this can be a little disheartening. So he was asked to clarify. So he did. He said, the overarching feel is that player options don't affect the game world and... DMs are bound by the rules instead of running a fun game. And so there there again, it's, wow, okay, is he saying the overarching feeling is from the general playing population? That is he saying that general feel is what Wizards feels? Um, and, and those are two distinct things. One, player actions don't affect the game world. And two, DMs are bound by rules instead of running a fun game. So between those two tweets... There is a ton of stuff to unpack. There is. Although and, I do feel that um, what he said, oh. what he was saying was that the overarching feel, that overarching feel sentiment is not by people who are playing Ale, but by everybody who's not playing Ale. Right. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But there is that, especially if you take, if you didn't see the original quote and you just see Mike saying the overarching feel is that player actions don't affect the game world, it, it can sound like that's what Wizards thinks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's true. As he being a you know the main voice, I would say for D and D at Wizards. So it's there's a lot to unpack there, and then on top of that, Merrick Blackman, uh, Merrick, if you're listening, it's great to hear from you again. Uh, love your reviews, love your posts. So uh, I'm glad you have something new out. You know, he talks about his own experiences with um, with organized play in a in a very good uh, blog post. And so if you take all of these things together, you have enough content for a very, very long discussion on the good, the bad, the ugly, and really the ne- necessity of organized play within the D&D world. So, I agree. And yeah, I think we should have that discussion right I, now. I think so. So with all that as a backdrop, Chris and I are going to try to hash out some of our own thoughts and feelings on this topic. And it feels like every maybe two years or so we do an episode like this uh, because this topic comes to the forefront in, in one way or another. Man, the fact that we can say that every two years we do this topic means we've been doing this for a while. This is true. <laughs> this is true. So, uh, so yeah, go ahead. Let's start then. So organized play is not one thing. It is many things. So why don't we just, we, we can, let's open that up. Right. Uh, what, do you, what do you think that means? Yeah, well, some people think when they think of organized play, they only think of one thing. They might think of um, the Adventures League, specifically the adventures that are released by the Adventures League. If they're an older player, they may think back to Living City 
or living Greyhawk or living Forgotten Realms and think that that is the only thing that organized play means, but it's not. Organized play can can mean a ton of different things. Um, the D&D Encounter season that, seasons that ran for 4th edition were not a living campaign, but they were a form of organized play that they were. were very different than a living style campaign. Sometimes an organized play campaign is simply an adventure path that is released uh, for players to play in a certain way. So organized play is just an overall catch-all category for a lot of different things. So to say organized play is only this or only that, you're missing a lot. Yeah, so let's talk about that real quick. The thing that you said, uh, an adventure path for people to play through. Yep. Um, Ashes of Athos had a lot of that uh, kind of built into it. Cause it was a series of trilogies that would tell a, kind of a whole story, but it right. wasn't like f- extensive and going on forever. It was just told a complete story. Yep, and there was a set of character creation guidelines, but it, they weren't as detailed. You know, they weren't as, I don't want to say restrictive, but, you know, not as conscriptive as other organized play programs can be. Um, so that, that's that's a good example of one of those maybe hybrid between a living and an adventure path, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and there's room, lots of room in between. So absolutely, but you know, a, an organized play campaign can be a very rich, detailed campaign. Living Greyhawk, because it was divided up into regions, you had players creating the world as they played, not all the time and not in every region, but in a lot of regions. The characters' actions and the players' willingness to contribute both through role-playing and also through volunteering gave the community a lot of power to create the world. Um, Or it can be a very vanilla campaign like Living Forgotten Realms was, where you just were kind of given the adventure and you played it. There Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of interaction with the people that ran the, the system. And that that wasn't because they weren't willing to listen, but that was just by design because they wanted more people to play. So they could uh, so they had to, by necessity, not take as much feedback and try to do things with it because you would be missing out on a lot of play opportunity um, if you did that. Yeah, it's. um, We just I mean, you just covered another couple different versions of this, this, these kinds of different organized play programs that can exist, right? Mm -hmm. Even all the hardcover books, they can they are part you can play them as part of the Adventurers League Mm -hmm. uh, material for your characters and whatnot. And a lot of the seasons tend to go with the hardcover releases. Right. So usually they're like either through they're they're, they're their own stories, usually, um, especially the the, the um, Tomb of Annihilation one. Mm-hmm. It's actually broken into two sections, right? There's the what happens before the Tomb of Annihilation or during the Tomb of Annihilation, then the stuff that happens after, and they tell stories. Um, it's almost like each of the tiers has a bunch of adventures that funnel into the next set of adventures. Right. So that's a, it's an interesting way to run a campaign yep. because you can pretty much run a, a campaign with those those adventures. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but I, I wanted to talk just for a second about what organized play in general is really good at and what organized play is not necessarily great at. Sure. 
So let's talk about what it's good at. I'll uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll alternate. So the first thing it's good at is it can provide lots and lots of play opportunities. And I think this was a thing that was problematic at first, but because of the content cr uh, convention created content program and the fact that there's eight now eight seasons of these things or going to be eight seasons of these things, and because they keep making more and more stuff AL legal, that there's plenty of opportunity to play AL legal stuff. Right. And and when I think of play opportunities, I don't necessarily think of a lot of content, although there is, but I also think of a lot of people to play with. If you're ah. if you live in an area where you have not a lot of players and you don't particularly want to play online, you might not have a lot of play opportunities. If you have a store or a nearby convention or, you know, a nearby library that runs public game days, your your doubling, tripling, quadrupling, etc. Your play opportunities during during fourth edition, no game stores in Buffalo were running any public Living Forgotten Realms or any other uh, campaigns. It's true, not one. Now, how many game stores in Buffalo are running uh, AL adventures? All eight, of them? Seven, eight, nine, more. Yeah, tons. We have tons yeah. of it in this in this area. It's ridiculous, right. actually. That's a testament pretty to much people like Cindy Moore and Mark Knappick, who you know who led the volunteers. But you can see, you know, every day you could go play somewhere. You can still. It's it's really cool. Yep. Uh, can, I a, can I ask a clarifying question? When we're talking about organized play, are we going to be referencing the Adventures League mostly? Or are we talking about are we talking about like game days? Or we, what are we talking about when we're talking about organized play? Well, I, I think since since most people are are in terms of the quotes that Mike gave, I think the Adventures League is what is overarching all of this. Mm -hmm. But I would be more than happy to talk about any other kinds of organized play as well, especially just to counterpoint any of the points that we think of as always true. You know, it's always true X. Well, it's not always true X because, you know, this could also be true. Yeah, because you were talking about providing lots and lots of play opportunities. Some organized play programs don't actually provide lots and lots of play opportunities because if I remember correctly, the Ashes of Athos stuff only ran at certain conventions. So you couldn't actually play them unless you went to those specific conventions to play them. That was that was absolutely true at first uh, as a counterpoint to the to Living Forgotten Realms where you could play anytime, anywhere. Mm -hmm. you know, this was done specifically to be, be a draw for conventions. And that was later relaxed and you could order them uh, online and get them sale, sent to you from bald man games mm -hmm. so that did expand after a while but when it was you know at its prime yes it was only being run at conventions yeah uh so that in general a lot of organized play programs have lots and lots of play opportunities that is one of the i would call one of the the standard things for an or uh, an organized play uh program that is doing what it's supposed to be doing in my opinion yep now um, now that you brought this up chris it brought to mind a counterpoint which was during Living Greyhawk, part of the draw of that campaign was that it limited play opportunities in some cases. So you had to actually physically go to the region where an adventurer lived in order to play that adventure. It's and, true. And so there was, a, as there always is, that was the trade-off. You could really affect a region through play. You play an adventure, you could change the way that region was. You could change important npcs or plots or whatever the limiting factor was you couldn't just play it anywhere anytime you had to be there so the 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 act of being able to make those changes 
was offset by the limited nature of those regional adventures. Mm -hmm. Um, So you always get people complaining, well, I want to be able to play it anywhere, anytime, but they also want to be able to make changes to the world. Sometimes you can't have both. And so you in have fa- to take one over the other. In fact, most of the time, those two things are antithetical to each other. Like, they're, they're on polar opposites of the scale. Yes, indeed. So I just wanted to point that out as, as a counterpoint to what we were saying. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's move on to the second point. In, yeah. in a lot of ways, it kind of ties a little bit into what you're talking about in some way, shape, or form. And that's fostering a sense of community for a portion of the player base. Yep. Now... We're all playing the same stuff, right? We're all playing with this same sort of modified rule set. Mm-hmm. We now have the internet. So, and even before that, like you said, with Living Forgotten or Living Greyhawk, mm-hmm. you had these these uh, regional areas. So, people who played a lot of games in these regional areas would get together on message boards and whatnot and have these conversations about how to push their their area forward in different ways through the through through play. Mm-hmm. So, between all that stuff, like people have this. Anytime you have a shared a shared experience or a shared set of experiences, you sort of start can build. You can start building a community around that stuff, right? And a community, if it's if it's a good community, if it's a healthy community, that's where you then draw in new people who become members of the community and grow the game. Mm-hmm. Because they see all all the fun that is being had and all the positive experiences that are being had. Yep. Now, if it's a, if it's a sick community, you know, if if it's a community that excludes rather than includes, then that's not necessarily a good thing. But um, organized play has people speaking the same language about the same adventures. And mm-hmm. so, therefore, it can be inviting and can grow that sense of togetherness in our hobby. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, it, in AL play, there's even sort of um, a weird, interesting divergence in how communities work because there are the the different conventions now with their convention created content and the people that are making these things that create their own little sub communities within mm-hmm. this overall um, organized play experience. Sure. Like the people who are going to be playing the Moonshay Isle stuff are going to have very different characters and experiences than the people who are playing um, the Borderlands stuff or just the straight uh, uh, Adventurers League adventures from the season stuff. Right. But yeah, you have um, obviously you just mentioned Moonshay, so Baldman Games creating you know Moonshay content. Uh, you have Gamehole Con creating the Border Kingdoms content. Border Kingdoms, thank yeah. you. But you also have like Cold Iron conventions uh, in Wisconsin and Illinois, um, who are you know writing their own content. And even though it's all set in the Moon Sea, they still have their own threads and their own plots and their own things so they are mm-hmm. creating a an internal community within al itself who follow those plot lines and have characters yep. that are that are contributing to those stories yeah and like you mentioned before instead of like the regional stuff that we used to have via um living greyhawk mm-hmm. i think this is the thing where the where these different like little groups and organizations are starting to create their own sort of I mean, anybody can play them, but they're sort of like regional experiences, right? Sure. Like, uh, yeah. You can go and play a character through the Moonshays and have that character affect the Moonshays because of how it's being constructed these days. For sure. Uh, that's So, like, like, these are all ways to foster the sense of community for these player bases. Of course, there are the, the message boards and whatnot, and the, on, the, the groups on Facebook, the G Plus communities, whatever, however people are communicating um, about the Adventures League rules and magic items and builds and all that good stuff that we're all very accustomed to. Yep. And the final thing I think that an organized play campaign can be good at, I'm going to say it and it's going to fly in the face of what everyone else thinks, but organized play campaigns can be really good at allowing 
characters, everyone, to change an official world's canon. Now, it takes a lot of organization, and it takes a will on the part of the administrators to do that, but it is great at it when it works. So even though every game you play, you might not be killing Drist, you know, or blowing up Waterdeep, but if the means are, are given to a campaign, you can have a reporting mechanism where you gather the results of an adventure for a certain set of time, and then the official products from that world can reflect the changes from the adventure. Um, and that's, you know, that's a way in which people don't, don't think about the game and organized play, but it's a great method of gathering that data. It's a great method, method of um, getting the feedback from players if it's done well uh, and done with foresight. Yeah. And I think it's important to clarify that it's allowing groups, larger groups of characters to change the official world and maybe not right. even necessarily the official world in some cases, but the, the ongoing campaign, mm -hmm. like that. I think that is the strongest thing. Like, well, we're all going to play this adventure and there's a couple of story rewards in it. Like which one of these story rewards mm -hmm. was the one that was, um, ended with the most well right. that's the thing that actually happened and then you can have a like a, a newsletter or a report go out or whatnot that says well here's the actual thing that happened because of that adventure yep uh, so again it takes it takes time and it takes energy on the part of the game company that's supporting it but it definitely can be done um, so let's switch it around and talk about what organized play is not necessarily great at let me let me do the first one. It's not do always it. good at making f making um, your game through line feel like a, a solid canonish through line, because when you have events that can change the um, the ongoing story of the campaign world, and you have multiple multiple tables playing these events, mm -hmm. like one person's experience of success or failure may not be somebody else's, and it won't feel the same for that character if they won when, in fact, everybody else lost. Right. So, so there's, yeah. So, that, it, it, yeah, in a home game, your character can your character can be, not necessarily is, but can be the center of every story. Uh huh. Right. That's harder to do in organized play, with a hundred thousand people playing the same adventure. Actually, it's kind of almost impossible to do. It, yes, in organized it is play, practically impossible. Um, it, it is impossible. I'm just going to say it's impossible to do an organized play. There's no, there's no way to make all the PCs the center of every story because that's just not how it works. Right. Um, now, the DM can make – a good DM can make the, the characters and players feel that way, right? Um, but it's not necessarily going to carry through the ongoing thread, plot thread of the campaign. Correct. Um, and that's something that you can get in a home game. Although even in a lot of home games, especially if the DM is running a pre you know pre-published uh, pre-published I I hate when I hear that so I said it um, a published campaign, then they're not really necessarily changing it to fit you anyway, right? Yeah, but you but there's it's you, you way can. easier to do that. Yeah, right? it's, because you don't have to. Yeah, there's not an overarching organization that is messing with you. Right, it is much much easier to do, obviously, in a home game. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've heard, I've seen a lot of people say, "Well, I don't like organized play because 
my character can't make a difference and then they play a home game where they're running a published adventure that re- their character is just following the same plot and they're not really making any more of a difference than they would in an organized play campaign. Does that oh, make sense? No. I mean, the whole idea is that you are the only you that exists. There's not other adventuring groups out there playing the same thing as, as you. And right. I think the point of these, especially the hardcover books these days, is that you are the at the center of events and will have an impact on the outcome of them all. So, I mean, uh, while you're right in practice, I don't think that is a, in the intention anymore. And I think that the two intentions are very, very different. I, I agree. Them. I agree about the, that, that difference between the intention and what, what, what actually happens. Yeah. I so, I mean, once you start letting people play with the stuff, I mean, good game masters and good high quality dungeon masters are going to make games make stories out of whatever they're given and high quality players are going to make stories about what about themselves about whatever is given too right so it's just about at that point um the 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 level of investment the people at the table and the kind of play that they're looking for sure and uh and speaking of that let's go on to the second topic which is D is a game that for better or for worse can be played in a variety of ways right Yes. Uh, yes, it can be played in a variety of ways. It's one of the best things about role-playing games and D&D. Right. And so in some ways, if you have players that have very different um, desires or very different ways that they have fun, if you're maximizing one player's experience to give them what they desire, you might inevitably be minimizing another player's desire or fun. It's you, true. It, I mean, yeah. that's dead. That, that, I mean, that is that is exactly the, the thing about having a variety of ways you can play a game. And D and D is not the most highly focused game that exists. This is true. So, you know, organized play. You need to remember that in organized play, there's always going to be that swing of the rules are focusing on one set of desires leaving out another set of desires in the process. And you know, strangely enough, with these changes that are coming up, they're they're expanding that to provide more ways to play. I actually agree with their, their assessment. So, yeah. I mean, uh, the, and the way that they're now dishing out experience and such. So I think they're actually broadening what the kinds of fun that you can have. I completely agree with you, but I'm going to give you this. I don't agree with this, but this is something that I have heard and will hear more. You, you hear people say, how come I'm getting the same amount of experience and leveling and gold and magic by killing all the monsters and playing for two hours as the people who sit in the tavern and talk for two hours and don't fight any monsters? So, because you're technically not, because I'm pretty sure the way that it reads is that you actually have to finish the adventure. True, but you will be able to finish the adventure in different ways. Right. Mm-hmm. And there, yeah. th- there is a group of people out there, don't, I don't necessarily agree with them, whose fun is diminished in their eyes because they are feeling like other people are being rewarded for being less skilled at combat than their characters. I mean, okay. that's fine, but the rules have shifted, like adapt yes. to the rules. Like, and and you, that, you're, They're not wrong about the way that the rules are written before. Like having... They could even be wrong about that. Like, a lot of experience was doled out for monsters, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the way it was. Right. But it never said that you had to kill them. You just had to overcome them, deal with them, get past them. Right. It doesn't actually say anywhere that you have to kill them to get the experience points. Right, right. I, mean, I think the term might be defeat, but 
yeah, that's, yeah. I that's, mean, I will call it overcome. Right, you have to overcome it's the situation. Fine. Right, but so I'm, I'm, what I'm, all I'm trying to say is, I agree with what you said, but mm-hmm. even within that, where it now lets people play any way they want and still get, you know, get their desired fun out of it, you have a subset of people who like it less now because of that. That's they fine. Not, they, they can may, like it less. Right. I just, um, they can like it less because their game changed. Right, like the game that they've been playing for a long time has changed. When things get changed, people get upset about that, right? They're like, "But, right. but, but, but." I'm like, in the the reality of the situation is, is anybody actually changing the way that you get rewarded? Are they changing anything about your kind of fun? Right. Are they messing with with you particularly? Because who cares what happens to somebody else around you? They're not getting sure. any more advantage than you. Right. They're just being provided more options for how to deal with the thing. Now, I, you got me angry now, Sean, because I can't stand when people say stuff like that because they're just missing the point. I, I, you're missing I, the point out there, everyone. If you're one of those people and you're listening to me right now, uh, you can hear it in my in my, in my my voice that I am, I am angry about this in some way, shape, or form because – you're more than in you're it's it's more than perfect for you to have the kind of fun that you want to have. Do not think that you are entitled to your kind of fun over somebody else's kind of fun because you're not. And yes, the game changed. They decided to change the game. You don't have to play it anymore. And if you don't like it, don't play it anymore. But stop bagging on other people for having the kind of fun that they want to have. Yep. And so all I was trying to get at with that point was that by moving in one direction, right or wrong, you are moving away from someone else's direction. That's all I was saying, even though as crazy as it sounds to us. so It's I, not I, crazy. I get why people feel I, that you know, way. I'm just trying to reinforce I just, that. I, got no, I have no patience or time for the people that think that their fun is worth more than somebody else's. Mm-hmm. I agree. So anyway, uh, so you know, with the, all that said, there, there was a strange thing in, in that tweet by, by Mike. And I'm I'm assuming that he only meant some people think this way, not that he thinks this way or that wizards think this way. But I'm going to quote that again uh, and edit out the part that doesn't matter. The overarching feel is that player characters' actions don't affect the game world. Okay, forget that. And the overarching feel is that DMs are bound by the rules instead of running a fun game. All right, so if you are one of the people that feels like DMs being bound by the rules somehow is antithetical to running a fun game. We need to have a discussion. Uh-huh. Why is being bound by the rules antithetical to a fun game? That says one of two things to me. If you need to break the rules to have fun, is there a problem with the rules? There, yes. If, yes. You, if you have a, a need to break the rules to have a fun game... Is there a problem with your game? Uh, yes. Okay. The, so the answer to both of those questions is yes. Right. Your game shouldn't have to be broken in order to have fun. The, the rules of your game should support the fun that people are trying to have. Mm-hmm. Like it should be. That's that's why it's really bad when you create a, a set of rules that are super constrictive. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and you can only do certain things inside of because when somebody tries to do something that works outside of those things, then you can't do anything about it but luckily D&D has a pretty good system in place where when somebody tries to do something outside of the rules the game masters dungeon masters can make a call based on this based on the core mechanics of the game like well you can make a skill check at DC whatever and here are the stakes 
Like, that is a thing that is easily doable in Dungeons & Dragons. And even in organized play, in the AL stuff, it even says it in the front, like, you can change and modify and make calls as you see fit to make this game work well. Mm -hmm. And it's not breaking the rules, it's making a call using the existing rule set. Also, this conversation is terrible to have over Twitter. This is true. This is true. (laughs) Um, So, I just wanted to think about that in terms of D&D and organized play. Um, If... If the idea is DMs that follow the rules are not fun to play with, then there is a disconnect somewhere between what the game is and what organized play can be. Yeah, that's insane because I follow the rules. Right. So, you know, it's, that's just an interesting thought. And, and it might be what would be better to say is... DMs in organized play campaigns may sometimes feel like they need to follow the adventure to the letter over running a fun game. That's a, that's a different conversation. That is a different conversation. And that is in some cases sort of true. There are certain story beats in adventures because people don't understand how to write adventures that are problematic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of dungeon masters will feel like they have to do it that way instead of making the modifications on the fly to make it work for the people at their table and the the, um, kinds of characters and combinations that they get. Yeah, because running a game, an organized play adventure with a set of strangers in a timed environment is probably one of the hardest things to do in D&D. It is. And, and uh, I think one step harder is, and I didn't really get a chance to talk about this, running it for a um, a larger event like an epic or a special is even more tricky. Mm-hmm. Because it's, there's more times that you have to time it. You have less wiggle room. And that actually throws me off a ton because I, um, I would rather be able to pace the thing out myself knowing that I have X amount of time to get to the end. But I don't because I only have like X amount of time to get encounter a encounter b and encounter c done in sort of like these chunks of time Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do because sometimes you end up like well you only got five minutes left i'm like i need like 10 (laughs) but i don't have 10 or like oh we finished 10 minutes early like uh let's talk for 10 minutes i can't really do anything else yep and so that is that is a whole different conversation about dming you know an adventure in a time setting and ways that you can and should alter the adventure, not necessarily the rules, alter the adventure to make the um, the desires of the players come to the forefront rather than sticking to the script. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that when Mike tweeted that, that's what he was really getting at, was not breaking the rules that is is what people don't like about organized play, but about sticking to the the adventure, um, you know, as a whole. I think that's probably more accurate, because yeah. the adventurer has a, usually a set of like, well, this is a fight or whatever, and then people make it a fight. But you don't always have to make it a fight. You have the ability, according to said document, to ch- change things as you will. Right, and I think For- with the new format that the Adventures League will be using, um, DMs are going to be a empowered uh, and be required to do more of that on the fly figuring because there is going to be encounters where it will say this is a role-playing encounter, but 
if you wanted to make it a combat, do this. Or if you want to make it an exploration encounter, do this. Or combine all three to make it a little bit of all of, all of them. Um, so that's going to tax the DM's talents a bit more than they've had in the past. See, you say tax, I say increase. Like, I mean, we, we are going to now have... Because these, these things are not written in a way that it's like encounter to encounter to encounter. I mean, they're still going to be written in that way in some way, shape, or form. But it's not going to be prescriptive. It's going to be like, well, here are your options for how you might want to handle this thing. Mm-hmm. Rockma is a fantastic example of it. I love the layout of it. I love the way that it's like a two-page spread usually or maybe a one-page spread. And at the bottom of the page, it's like, here are the three kind of ways if you want to go with one of these three pillars. Mm-hmm. So, like, you could have a combat or a social thing or an exploration thing or however it works, right? Like, there's right. a bunch of varieties of ways to deal with ink. Uh, suggestions for dealing with the situations. This is true. The reason I use the word tax is because it's already hard enough to run a very (laughs) scripted uh, adventure and get the timing right. Now, if you do this other method where a combat might take 45 minutes and a role-playing version of that same encounter might take five. So now you're having to do that sort of Rubik's Cube thinking of... All right, I've got three more encounters to go, and I have an hour and 45 minutes. I really should run this last one as a combat because that's where, you know, the plot gets gets tricky. So I'm going to leave 45 minutes for that. So I've got two encounters, and I have an hour. So if I do the role-playing one here, that should take, you know, it's it's adding a level of complexity because you're changing. Not, normally you, you run a, an adventure and it'll say, hey, th- you know, this combat should take 45 minutes and this role-playing encounter should take 15. So, you know, boom, there's an hour. Mm-hmm. If you change even the way the encounters can run and it could swing wildly from five minutes to an hour and a half, um, that's just one more mental hurdle you need to jump in figuring out your timing. It It is a bit of that, but there's also um, less of a hurdle for prep in a lot of ways because... You don't have to, like, get whatever the author was intending for a specific encounter. You actually just have to feel like, well, this is what they're intending. This is – here's the goals for encounter. Like, the way that it's laid out, it's a lot easier to read. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh, like, yeah, it, it, prepping it these things is going to be easier now. I'm just saying. Yeah, I I kind of agree. It's less – to me, it's less walls of text and more, like, lists. Yep. And more broken up and more easy graphically to, to see. And I hope that everybody adopts the way that these things are being laid out mm-hmm. uh, in the in the convention created content stuff yeah. and the Adventures League seasons coming forward because it'll be a lot easier to they're graphically easier to to understand and there's less text on the page. I yeah, I I agree to a point. I, I'm going to be interested in seeing the the actual play. Me you know, too. To to see if that holds true with a majority of the DMs, but uh-huh. we'll find out. That'll be a good thing. I mean, this is the um, this is the way that I think adventures over the course of time, and I don't even just mean for organized play, but completely over the course of time have started to trend towards like we're stopping with the whole like here's the encounter, here's what it has to be, it's going to be a fight, here's the map, here's where the positioning is. Mm-hmm. To um, here's the situation, here's what the things that are in the situation want, or here's the obstacles to be overcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, go. Yeah. Like here's all the cool things inside of it. Go. Right. Yep. Like I. And here's some suggestions for ways to deal with that. Yep. I, I agree that the intention um, and the the layout will help. I just don't know how DMs, especially DMs who are used to a more scripted adventure, will handle that. That's all. Mm-hmm. 
I'm with you. It'll be interesting. Uh, we are a little off the topic there. A little because bit. Because we're talking about design instead of like, in, instead of design and adventures instead of actually organized play and how that works. But it, it's sort of in the same. It realm. is. And especially um, with the next point, which is DM quality. Yes. Uh, in, in organized play versus, you know, home games. Um, in, in, in any realm, whether it's organized play, your home game, you know, uh, game day at a store, a convention, the DM quality is going to vary dramatically. Um, you are going to have some experiences that are great, and you're going to have some experiences that are terrible. It's just the way it goes. I've been, for 20 years now, been DMing, playing, administering. I have seen some horrible DMs, um, not necessarily because they didn't try, although that is true in some of the cases. And I've also seen some absolutely incredible DMs. And the same is true for home games. When I played in college, I went through you know some groups and some of the DMs. I played one game, one session, and I'm like, this is not for me. So you know that's going to be true anywhere. Um, but what I hear a lot is, oh, yeah, I tried AL once, and it was a disaster. AL is terrible. Um, I had that just happen at Gen Con with someone. Um, and so they came back to play and hopefully uh, they had a good time at my table and what I often hear is someone who is uh, someone who does who dislikes organized play for whatever reason will hear someone say yeah I tried organized play once and it was terrible and they'll be like yeah it was terrible but I also had something interesting happen at a table where someone said you know I tried fifth edition once and it was a disaster. And I thought 5th edition was terrible, but I'm giving it another try. And if I've used that, both of those, to kind of make people see that one experience does not a, uh, you know, an addition or a, a campaign make. Um, yeah. Because cause I, I told the story about the person who tried AL, and they're like, yeah, AL sucks, and I agree with that person. But, the, but I like 5th edition. It's just the organized play. And then I said, well... This other person said they hated 5th edition once. And they're like, oh, that was because of the DM, obviously. I'm like, how come it couldn't have been the DM when they tried Adventures League? Well, you know, that's, that's the argument goes both ways. So just remember that if you are new to Adventures League, if you're new to organized play, it, it might not be for you, but it might not be for you in one session because of the situation you were in. So give it a try at some point in a different setting with a different DM, with different people, to just to make sure that it's not something you'd enjoy if you're in the right situation. Yeah, I mean, uh, for that, I would always suggest going and finding a convention where Baldwin Games is running games because, you know, they actually take the time to grade, in a lot of ways, their, their Dungeon Masters and have really quality Dungeon Masters at their conventions running yeah. games. And, you know, there's always going to be new DMs. So even if you do go to Baldman Games and you don't have a great experience, maybe when you're marshalling, um, you know, when you go to get set at a table, just say to the person who's in charge, you know, the last time I played, it really didn't go well. If you know of a really good DM, could I have that DM? Because they might be seating 12 tables with 12 different DMs. And they might, you know, say, oh, okay, I'll give you someone who I know is really good. So you'll ha actually see what it's like to have a good experience at, at one of these sessions. Mm -hmm. Always good to ask. Yep. All right. Well, let's talk about the admin administration of organized play campaigns because they're hard. They require a lot of time. They require money. They require a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I've had a lot and of companies have... come to me over the years and say, we know you have experience with all these organized play campaigns. We want you to create one for our game, whether it's a D&D game or even a whole different RPG. And so what I will do is I almost have a form now that I sit down and I say, okay, we're going to go over this form. Do you want it to be this? Do you want it to be that? Do you want it to be a marketing campaign or more of a content creation and, um, you know, dispersion organization? How do you want all this to work? And usually by the time I get done and they see how much effort, how much time and money commitment can go into it, they usually say, okay, it's not for us. Or they just create the simplest version possible, which turns out to be like giving an adventure path out. Um, so I just, you have to understand when you look at different organized play campaigns or organized play programs, uh, look what's behind it. How, how much, how is it being supported and in, in what way? Because that might dictate the type of enjoyment you're getting out of it. If you want a campaign where your character can make a difference, you're going to want a campaign where the company is heavily involved and they are collecting feedback, and they are doing all of those things. Um, if you are okay with whatever, then you don't even have to look you know, past the content that's being provided. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of that, it's just the planning is terribly important. Oh, my God, is it terribly important and hard. Mm-hmm. Because when you create that set of rules for a campaign that sets up on your just basic game rules, you're creating a you're creating an audience um you're by nature drawing certain kinds of players and excluding other types of players Mm -hmm. um so then if you don't plan well you end up having to change all the rules and so not only are you alienating the players who loved your campaign because of what it was you're having going to have a hard time bringing back the players who you alienated with that original um set of rules and that's really the main point i have on this because i've seen it happen over and over and over and over again with so many different organized play programs yeah i would agree with all of that and also i would just let you talk about it because it's your ballywick not mine is that it is it all i think that's all i have to say on this topic so you know overall just if you played organized play stuff in the past and it wasn't for you, that's okay. Not everything is for you. But if it's something that interests you, don't knock it until you've tried it again. You know, Come back one more time and give it a try. Um, let us know about your experiences with organized play, and maybe we can help you point, we can point you to an organized play system that's that's right for you because right now the adventures league is a big umbrella and underneath that umbrella, we're going to start seeing more and more things. We've got, Mm -hmm. you know, the adventures league proper, which are all the seasons and, and all the adventures and the rules that go with that. But we're also going to see now an Eberron campaign. Yep. And we might see even more and more things. Um, We see the D and D open at, at origins, which is separate from the adventures league, uh, living campaign kind of stuff, but it's still an organized play game. Mm-hmm. So that might be for you. And the CCC adventures might be for you and so on and so on and so on. So, you know, give it another try. Think about it more than just, 
this is what I like, so this must be what everyone wants because that's not necessarily true. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I will say, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Let's do a few Patreon shout-outs. Taimo Tetsu Okoye, Wayne Peterson, Jason Pitt, Donahue McCarthy, Nate Brooms, Evil Rich, James Intercasso, John Just John, Jean Lorbert, Steve Bissonnette, The Space Rhino, I hope The Space Hamster is doing well, Sean Kelly, Ryan Bolter, Chelsea Clark, Robert Day, Matthew Petzeruli, Petrozelli. How do you say that? Petrozelli. Petrozelli. Man, yeah, I yeah. always screw that up. I need to phonetically spell it. Matthew Petrozelli and Dan Simmons. Thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. And Ooh, hopefully I'll pronounce your well, name right. That's right. <laughs> or for $4 a month, we'll make sure we get your name right, and you'll <laughs> okay. get a shout-out. Uh, but you'll also get to see our pre-production show notes, and you also get access to our Slack Room for Life. The Slack Room for Life? Oh, my. Uh, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those reviews are awesome, and they help us, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, because other podcatchers use that to rate and rank their shows, and that makes us more visible. And you could also give us a shout-out on Twitter, on any other of the social medias that you use, and that helps make us more popular and gets us listeners, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, it would really help if you helped us market. We'd greatly appreciate it. Um, Sean, speaking of marketing, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down With D&D G Plus community. How about you, Chris? Oh, you can catch me at Misdirected Mark on Twitter. That is the show and that is the network Twitter and my Twitter. Uh, you can also go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one, The Gnome Cast. Several gnomes from the gnomes to get together to talk about a gaming topic and themselves a bit in an effort to avoid it being thrown in the stew and also to entertain you. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Sean, buddy old pal, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some monsters and gain a level, or just talk to them again. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Okay.